0: Hey everyone, good to see all of you this Labor Day weekend. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. If we haven't met before, my name's John. I'm the campus pastor here at Lionel Lakes, but we are in the final week of a series called Shatterproof. It's been fantastic. Bob and Jason have talked about what it means to find comfort in suffering, how to not lose hope, and what it means to be rich in every way. Today's message is titled Passing the Test. Now since most students have either gone back to school or are headed back to school this week, let's begin by taking a little test or quiz ourselves. And the test is called, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Remember the show on TV several years ago, comedian Jeff Foxworthy used to host it to really test to see if people were in fact smarter than a fifth grader. So that's what we're going to do this morning, okay? It has nothing to do with the Bible, everything to do with passing fifth grade. So first question on this quiz is this, how many sides does a heptagon have? Think about it, what's a heptagon, all right, let's see this first answer here, seven. All right, who got that right? Who's one for one across all, good for you, so far you're passing fifth grade, okay? This is the second of four questions. Who is the third president of the United States of America? You gotta know presidents to pass fifth grade. Okay, there's George Washington, we know, Barack Obama. Who's in between? We, we don't know. All right, let's see third president. Thomas Jefferson, all right. Benjamin Franklin is not a president, just to be clear, common mistake. Third question, which planet is close to the sun? Gotta know planets. Okay, we know Mars, we think. Do we know any of the others? All right, what's close to the sun? Here we go, Mercury. I heard someone say the moon. The moon is not a planet. Okay, it's just let's be clear about that, common mistake. All right, fourth and final question. What's the capital? of North Dakota, you gotta know capitals. If you're gonna pass fifth grade, okay? Let's see here. You know, we didn't even actually, doesn't matter. Just kidding, we love all of you from North Dakota. Let's actually see Bismarck, Bismarck, all right, way to go. For those of you feeling like you might need to retake the fifth grade, hey, join the club, okay? I didn't get any of them right. No one likes tests, do they? I mean, not if you're normal, at least. (laughs) As much as we don't like to be tested, tests inevitably define who we are becoming in many ways. When you were a student, your GPA, SAT, or ACT scores determined a lot of your future. I took the SAT three times with study courses in between. I was a good student. I had lofty aspirations to attend Stanford, but as hard as I tried, I just could not achieve the kind of SAT score that allowed me to even apply to Stanford. So that to test determined parts of my future. We like when other people are tested, though, don't we? I mean, aren't you thankful the last time you went to the doctor that he or she had been tested extensively in order to give you a proper diagnosis? Aren't you glad the pilot that flew the plane you were in last had been tested? Not when you took your car to the mechanic. The last time you went to the dentist as she was poking around and and making you cry as she checked your teeth. As much as we don't like to be tested, I think we can all agree we like when other people are tested. And I got to thinking about why that is. Here's why. I think we like this. See, what's been tested can be trusted. The doctor can practice. The pilot can fly. The dentist can check for cavities, but Paul... The author of 2 Corinthians, he wants to know, has your faith been tested? Can your faith be trusted? Is your faith shatterproof? Now with that as the backdrop, Paul asks us to do the unthinkable in this final chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Don't wait for other people to examine and test you test and examine yourself he says now why would we do that because what's been tested can be trusted and paul wants us to know can your faith be trusted when you'll need it the most just to give you an example of what i mean in the last couple weeks i had a conversation with a mom who's struggling without a parent her 19 year old daughter who is lost and walking away from jesus I spent a considerable amount of time talking to a man whose wife of 65 years has recently passed away. And just a couple Mondays ago, I was in the home of Tiffany and Cole, whose brand new baby boy has been born virtually brain dead. I mean, just really tough situations. But life. Here's the thing. These same people are living with such profound hope and faith. The mom knows that her prayers are going to make all the difference. The man knows that his wife is waiting for him in heaven with Jesus. He just knows it. And the parents, Tiffany and Cole, of sweet baby Carter, courageous Carter they call him. they actually said to me, we are so grateful, grateful. So grateful to God for each and every precious moment he has given us with our sweet baby. We know that God is here with us and will continue to be as we move on in this journey. See, their faith in Christ is proving to be shatterproof. But if you're here wondering, will my faith be enough no matter what life throws my way? I wonder the same thing at times. I really do. And so that's what we're going to test today. Before you start having any pretest anxiety, let me just assure you, this is not your final score. In fact, as long as you are alive, you can retake this test over and over and over again. This test has three questions with a bonus question at the end. And by the time you're done answering these questions, I think you'll know just how shatterproof your faith is becoming. Okay, so the first question to a shatterproof faith is this, what is your reaction to sin? Paul writes this, I'm afraid that I'm going to find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorderly behavior. He's got a lot to worry about. Many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality and eagerness for lustful pleasure. See who he was writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was dealing with all kinds of sin and they didn't seem to care enough to change. That's a problem as a sign of a weak or underdeveloped faith. A few weeks ago, I was shopping with my two little kids, Maddox and Marley. Maddox, who's five, Marley, who's one, and we were shopping at Menards. Now, shopping with two little kids by yourself is fun in theory, but in reality, it's a matter of survival. I mean, get in, get out, keep them both alive, pray they don't melt down, pray they don't break anything. Can I get an amen from some parents out there? (laughs) But it was a pretty successful trip in other words they were alive and we were checking out so maddox asked if he could have a bag of chips i said sure why they sell chips at menards is beyond me but it's glorious that they do <laughs> so we were loading up the car and i was buckling both kids in when maddox turns to me and he says dad you didn't pay for these chips At first thought was i'm not going back in there I just made it out here alive. Plus, it's, they're 99 cents. It's fine. That was my first thought. I even said to him, "We'll just pay for them the next time." Yeah, right? I was ever going to remember to do that? Right? I mean, who was I kidding? I think A little voice inside said, "What's the right thing to do? What are you going to be showing your kids?" So after some hemming and hiding, I buckled both of them. I put them back into the cart. I wheeled back up to the checkout line and I paid for these 99 cent chips with a credit card because millennial, no cash, okay? (laughs) Nothing. Even as a longtime Christ follower, the way I react to sin is still such a struggle. I mean, many times I find myself wanting to brush it away or ignore it, just like I wanted to do with that stolen bag of chips. I mean, it's a little white lie, you know? It's the, the extra glance angry response, the failure to respond to someone in need of the resources that God has entrusted me. But when I'm at my best, my, my reaction to sin is, is one of repentance and sorrow. That's what Paul means when he writes this. He says the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. See, there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is the feeling we get when we know we sin and we feel sorrow about it simply because God thinks it's wrong for no other reason. Worldly sorrow is the kind of sorrow that Ryan Lochte, the U.S. Olympic swimmer, I think he experienced. You know, I'm sorry, I got caught. I'm sorry, as someone noticed. Worldly sorrow doesn't lead to actual change. But Paul says, on the other hand, godly sorrow leads us away from sin. When is the last time you experienced true godly sorrow? Because that kind of sorrow is going to lead you away from sin. That's what it means to repent. Such an important word to know as a follower of Christ. To repent means you, you say no to that sin. And then you say yes to, to Christ's undeserving, unfathomable forgiveness for you. And then you turn your back on that sin and keep running towards that forgiveness. Now trust me, when I say that I, John Alexander, left to my own, would much rather give into sin. That's my human desire and it's yours too. Because let's face it, sometimes giving into sin is so much easier But thankfully, it is Christ in me who convicts me of that sin. So when I feel this desire to repent, when I feel godly sorrow, I can't even take credit for it. Because it's not me. It's Christ in me. This is what Paul's saying. He says, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? So, of course, you, you fail the test. You know, have you ever stopped... To consider that that maybe the reason you're struggling so much with sin is because Christ Jesus is not in you. But for those who put their faith in Christ, you know, reading this can be pretty discouraging. Especially if you've already failed in your reaction to sin like I have today. But since we're all gonna struggle in our reaction to sin, let me just assure you about a couple things. With Christ in you, sin is failure. It's falling short. Let's not discount the gravity, the messiness of sin. But with Christ in you, sin does not make you a failure. With Christ in you, sin does not put your salvation in question. Christ in you, sin, does not put your relationship with Jesus in question. Christ Jesus already paid for those sins, past, present, and future. But here's what I think Paul is saying. I think he's wanting you to know with Christ Jesus in you, you have the power, the potential, and most importantly, the desire to turn away from that sin and run the other direction. That is the foundation of a shatterproof faith. So stop and ask yourself and just answer honestly to yourself. What's your current reaction to sin? Personally, I find the the closer I am to Jesus, the quicker I move to repentance. However, the longer I've gone without praying, without spending time in God's word, without worshiping in church, the longer it takes me to feel any sort of uh, desire to repent or any sort of sorrow over that sin. Just, just last month, I yelled at Maddox for something really insignificant. Maddox, you are being such a huge brat. Whew. Parents, we've all been there, haven't we, said, or done something with a little more emotion than we wanted to. Maddox just cried and cried and cried. In fact, later on, I overheard him calling himself A brat. Problem was, it took me quite a while to feel any sort of sorrow or conviction over that sin. But finally, after a little while, I I crept into his room. I apologized. I asked for his forgiveness. And then I prayed out loud to God in front of him that God would forgive me and make me a better father. The next time. See, Maddox needs to see a man who seeks God's forgiveness and then receives that forgiveness with open arms. The problem was it took me too long to feel any sort of sorrow, any sort of desire to repent over that sin. So, if that's you, if you find yourself saying, What's the big deal more often than not to sin? It's time to draw closer to Jesus. Don't just try harder to not sin. Draw closer to Jesus and he will fill you with his spirit to convict you of those sins. That's the first question. What is your current reaction to sin? A second question to a shatterproof faith is this. How quickly do you see the warning signs? Paul writes this. I've already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Can't you just feel his angst? Now I again warn them and all others, just as I did before. See, the second question is about the moments leading up to sin, the warning signs. How quickly do you see those sins, those warning signs, and then do something about them? That's the question. How quickly do you see those warning signs? I got a confession to make. I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. I'm obsessive about not getting sick, and I hate... Getting the stomach flu. Now, I get there's no one here that's saying, ooh, I I can't wait to get the stomach flu this year. I get that, okay? But three years ago, I was deathly, anxiously afraid of getting the flu, so I decided I was going to do whatever it took to not get the flu, okay? So I washed my hands several times a day, I carried hand sanitizer wherever I went. I took airborne constantly. And before I agreed to hang out with someone, I usually asked whether they'd been around someone who'd had the flu or not in the last week. Does this sound obsessive and weird? Yes. Nod your heads. Yes. I'm seeing someone about it. Okay. So I'm working on it. It was that December we were in Seattle visiting my family. And so naturally we went to the Seahawks game being big Seahawks fans. But leading up to the game, I just wasn't feeling quite right. I thought it was something I ate, maybe because of travel, but I wanted to go so bad, I just ignored the feeling. When we took our seats in the frigid, 40-degree Seattle weather, I found I just could not get warm. So I went and bought hand warmers and a blanket, I put those hand warmers in my boots and my gloves, didn't help. Then after standing under every heater, that I could possibly find in the stadium, I realized that I was getting sick, I was going down soon. So I went back to my family, I said, listen, I'm getting sick, beginning of the third quarter, we gotta go. Of course they knew they were dealing with a hypochondriac, so Emily, who loves me very much, she looked at me like she would look at her little baby boy trying to get out of going to school, and she said, are you sure you're getting sick, John? Yes, I'm getting sick, all right? So we headed out the stadium, we were walking to the bus that takes us back to our car when I knew it was all going down soon. So, while in that bus stuff full of Seahawks fans, I end up puking all over my lap and the seat in front of me. I'm not a good sick patient, okay? I vaguely remember people yelling at me, Have another, why don't you? And my dad yelled back, He has the flu which ironically made people a lot more upset to know that they were confined in this bus with someone who had the stomach flu. Not my finest moment. (laughs) The point is, man, I should have paid attention to the warning signs. Everything pointed in the direction of me getting sick. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. This is how it works with sin. I mean, before any sin has occurred, In your life, there were warning signs going on all around you. And it's our responsibility to recognize, to see those sins and do something about them before it's too late. So let's go back to Paul's list of sins here that he goes through. He says, I'm afraid I'm going to find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior when you're starting to build with emotion, are you able to see the warning signs before you boil over into anger and say or do something that you're gonna regret? See the warning signs when you're about to gossip and spread something you heard secondhand about a coworker? You see the warning signs when you crack open that first beer at 9 a.m. after you drank that six pack, after you heard about Teddy Bridgewater? I don't think you get an excuse for that one. (laughs) Can you see the warning signs when you're alone late at night with that mobile device or that computer? After hours conversations, you have someone with someone who isn't your spouse. The feelings that arise in you when others achieve the kind of success that you want. There are warning signs going on all around you that if not dealt with properly, will lead to sin and regret. Maybe there have been wise, godly people in your life who are telling you not to go back to that person, but you continually brush them off. Or maybe there have been inner promptings, these quiet whispers in your spirit that, that feel like warnings, but somehow you justify your next move by ignoring them People with a shatterproof faith pay attention to those warning signs and then do something about them. Paul says this. He said, we pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. Do the right thing before we come. One of the most difficult things in life is listening to correction and then actually correcting that thing. Your spouse keeps Telling you to see a counselor about your anger Your boss keeps telling you to develop more skills or or face repercussions There's something inside of you that's just that's screaming at you to not take that higher paying job at the expense of your family's health The people who ultimately develop a shatterproof faith listen to these corrections and then correct those things to listen to the wise, godly voices in your life. Those quiet whispers, the inner promptings, and the word of God. If the warning signs are telling you that you are going to get sick, don't get on that bus, okay? Take it from me. (laughs) Question three to a shatterproof faith is this. When you feel weak, do you trust in God's power? Paul says, we too are weak, just as Christ was, but when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. Paul struggled with insecurities and weaknesses like all of us. But the amazing thing about Paul is that he lived with such, such courage, conviction, and power. That's because no matter how weak he felt, Paul trusted in God's power time and time again to move forward long time ago, I read a book by Pastor Erwin McManus, and he included some facts about rhinos. Now, listen, I've never been interested in rhinos until I read these facts. I've kind of been fascinated ever since. There's certainly nothing to look at. They're ugly, they're boring, they're, they're just, you know, they don't do a lot. But rhinos can run up to 30 miles per hour, which is faster than a squirrel, okay? <laughs> Not only that, they can only see 30 feet In front of them. So, if you can imagine this beast at at several hundred pounds running at 30 miles an hour, not able to see even 31 feet in front of them, scary thought. You think they'd be far too timid or paralyzed to move, but they got this horn coming off their head that gives them confidence. Knowing that if anything gets in their way, they're just gonna plow right through. I mean, who's gonna stop a rhino, right? Here's another cool thing about rhinos. A pack of rhinos running together is known as a crash. In fact, even when rhinos are just standing around, hanging out together, doing what rhinos do, they're known as a crash because of their potential. See, as a follower of Christ, stick with me here. (laughs) As a follower of Christ, you have the potential of a rhino. You have the potential to move forward with the power of a crash. Because even if you aren't able to see what's beyond your next step, even if you feel afraid or full of apprehension, sometimes all you need to do is move forward. With Christ on your side, you can't be stopped. You can move forward with the power of a crash. This is what Paul means when he says, Christ is not weak when he deals with you. Christ is powerful among you. Maybe you know that you're supposed to start school again, but you just don't know how you're going to finish. Maybe you know you're supposed to start a Bible study at school for your friends, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, grad school. But you feel overwhelmed at the thought, move forward. Christ is powerful among you. Maybe you know the person you're supposed to invite to fall kickoff next weekend the five people you're supposed to pray for and and invite over the course of this fall, but, but it feels overwhelming to you. It does to me too. Let's extend the invitation. Let's move forward. Christ is powerful among us. You might be facing an uncertain financial future, but you just know that God is asking you to tithe and give beyond what feels humanly possible. Move forward. Christ is powerful among you. You might not think you have what it takes to step into that future that God is calling you to. Move forward. Christ is powerful among you. See, people with a shatterproof faith say, it doesn't matter what's 31 feet in front of me. I know what's right in front of me. I'm gonna move forward and trust in God's power. With Christ on your side, you can't be stopped. Christ is powerful among you. Also realize... I've talked to a lot of you. There are some of you here saying that, that is impossible. I, I, I can't move forward. I mean, John, you don't know what I've been going through the diagnosis, divorce papers, the secret addiction. You've just been blindsided, sucker punched, knocked off your feet. I'm sorry. If I can inspire faith in you at all, despite feeling weaker than you ever thought possible, God can and will supply you with a renewed power if you continue to trust Him. Pastor Levi Luskow is a pastor at Fresh Life Church in Montana with a growing church and ministry, dynamic personality, and a beautiful family. Lusko, he's got it all going for him. But in December of 2012, they dropped off their four girls at the grandparents' house so he and his wife Jenny could stay behind to wrap Christmas gifts. So as they were heading back to pick them up, their five-year-old daughter named Lenya, which means lion in Russian, she suffered a freak asthma attack and died in Levi's arms while he tried to revive her. It's worst case imaginable. So they were driving away from the hospital with their three other girls. Levi wrote in his fantastic book, Through the Eyes of a Lion, he said, stunned and completely in shock. We were getting into our car in the hospital parking lot, only there was one fewer seatbelt buckled. Horrified, I looked in the rearview mirror at the gaping hole where my daughter should be sitting. How do you drive away from a hospital emergency room without a daughter? The pain Levi describes, it nearly killed him. He doesn't shy away from talking about that. But despite the suffocating anger, pain, and grief that he and his family have experienced somehow Levi has been able to lean on a faith that has proven to be shatterproof. Because just a few days after his daughter had passed away, he was able to invite the entire hospital staff to church as he preached at Fresh Life Church's Christmas services, proclaiming the resurrection hope of Jesus Christ. Hundreds came to faith in Christ. But he asked a question that we all need to wrestle with. And the question is will we trust what only we can see is there or believe what God says is there? You see weakness, God sees power. You see a mess, God sees a message to help others. You see pain. God sees a platform to one day be there for others in their weakness. No matter what it is you are facing in life, Christ is powerful among you if you are willing to trust him and move forward. I said the key to developing a shatterproof faith is to keep asking and keep answering these three questions. What's your reaction to sin? How quickly do you see the warning signs? And when you feel weak, do you trust in God's power? You're never going to get a perfect score, but you can take this thing over and over and over again. The key is to keep asking and keep answering. But I also said, as we wrap up this series and the message, that there was one final bonus question. And it's really more than a bonus question. It's the question. It's the most important question, and it has an answer that is right. And the question is this, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? believe this do you believe this see there's only one person in all of history who has ever been truly completely shatterproof and his name is Jesus last days of his life he was unjustly whipped he was beaten he was put to death on a cross and he died And these followers of this Jesus movement thought it was over. But it wasn't. Because three days later, Jesus overcame that death. He defeated that death. He resurrected from death to life to prove that God alone has the power to give you eternal life. And now Jesus is asking you, do you believe this? Do you want to learn how to develop a shatterproof life as you follow me? Do you want to spend eternity with me? And this answer changes everything. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which essentially means to say that Jesus is your new commanding officer, that you are going to receive instruction from him and him alone. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus has done all the work. He's paid for those sins, past, present, and future. All it takes is for you and I to say, I'm in. That's what I want. And if you want that relationship with Jesus, if you want that shatterproof life, don't wait. Because Jesus is asking you, do you believe this? Do you want this? And all you need to do is say, So in just a moment, we're all gonna pray together. We're all gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. But for those of you who are ready for this moment, all it takes is for you to pray silently along with me. It's between you and God, no one else. Pray along in your head, whisper it in your spirit. But today is a new day for you. Don't miss this opportunity. When we're done, I got a few final things I wanna tell you about. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, You have made the way. I'm struck by that, standing here. You have made it possible for us to experience eternal life because of your son, Jesus. Thank you for that sacrifice and for making it possible. Jesus, for those here who are ready to follow you follow along and pray silently with me. Heavenly Father, I didn't know. I did not know this was possible. But today is a new day for me. And I receive with open arms the forgiveness you offer so freely. Beginning today, I want to follow you. I want to live as you Teach us to live. Lord, and I accept that forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave and that today as I commit my life to you, I'm a new person. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Hey, so many of you have crossed from death to shatterproof life. And can we cheer for those people today? (laughs) Amazing. We want to help you in this journey. It's just the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. We want to give you some resources to keep you going and encourage you in this relationship. So text BELIEVE, the word BELIEVE, to 555-888, and we'll get you connected to what you need to grow in your faith. You can visit the Next Steps area in the lobby, or you can come down front for prayer. But we're so proud of you. We're so thankful that God has spoken to you here today. Hey, for everyone else, next weekend is fall kickoff, and you don't want to miss the beginning of a brand new series. So we'll see you next weekend. Thanks for coming, everyone.